0: Welcome back to The Company We Keep with your host, Allie Bose. Today's episode compiles all the greatest moments, advice, and inspiration from season one, because guess what? Season two is coming, and what better way to slide into season two than with a quick remix of season one. The stories that you'll hear today are ones that have really inspired me lately as I've been going through my own time of transition. A couple months ago, I closed out a chapter in my career. I jumped off a cliff and quit my job. A lot of thought and consideration went into that decision and I recognize that not everyone has the luxury or privilege of quitting their job. I also feel a great sense of pride and excitement that I'm part of what the people are calling the great resignation. Everyone is essentially evaluating the company they keep and how they live their day-to-day lives. And many are pivoting to align with a path that better supports their own growth and evolution. The number one question I get when telling people I quit my job is, what's next? Everyone wants to know what's next. And it's a great question, you know? And it's something that I'm still trying to figure out myself. One of my friends described this time as me taking a mental health sabbatical. And that really resonated with me. It's a time to heal, to recalibrate to explore, to create, to rest. When I think back to the times in my life when I haven't known what's next, but have made a conscious effort to live in the present and focus on what's exciting me right now, that's when the magic happens and things turn out better than I could have ever imagined. So I invite you to join me on this journey as we go into season two. You can follow and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when season two episodes are released. Now, let's get into the highlights of season one. Think of this as like a remix or a DJ set. In no particular order, each season one guest will be featured. You'll hear a bit about their background and some of their most impactful experiences and learnings. Just to note, I won't be introducing each individual person, but the show notes have the speaker lineup and timestamps so you can identify who was speaking when. Of course, if you want to hear more on a specific person, you can refer back to their full episode that was previously released. Enjoy.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Elise Rodriguez. I am Hispanic. I am Mexican and Puerto Rican which is a very interesting mix considering culturally those two typically clash. But honestly, I love it. The food's amazing. I unfortunately do not speak Spanish. My parents never taught me. I am the first within my immediate family to go to college. My parents were very strict on that, and I respect that a lot about them. And it definitely helped me become who I am today you know what? Okay. So now that we're talking about this, we're going to go through so many more before we get to even me and you meeting. And this is something that I think is great. Like this is something now where I'm looking back and I'm like, I'm so happy that I did that. And I'm so glad that it's becoming more normalized to try different things. Because honestly, if I didn't jump at these opportunities that kind of came to me, I would have never been where I'm at today. So for anybody who is like nervous about leaving their job because they've only been there for X amount of time, just know that that is never an issue. And if anything, it's coming more widely acceptable to do that because you're only gaining more skills and growing that skill set and just trying to become better within your career. I had a period of my life where I had a bad habit of comparing myself to other people. For someone who's in her late 20s and sees people hit the goals that you have thought you were going to hit at a way younger age, it was kind of heartbreaking, but that's just a battle I dealt with myself. I try not to feel bad for myself because, you know, I put myself in these situations and I could easily take myself out. I just need to push a little bit harder. What happened was I know what I needed to do. There was no new challenges for me. And so once I finished that, it allowed my brain to think about other things that I didn't want to think about, like comparing myself or doing things where it's like as ifs. And those are the worst because what I realized after probably my third rejection from a job It's so, so hard when you like, I was at the final stages for many jobs for jobs that I would have loved to work at. You cannot think about a future there until you have that offer letter. You can let your mind go free, but that's the part that will hurt the most when you get rejected. And that's something I've learned my third time around, like I got rejected a lot. And so I told myself, I will allow myself one shower cry. So I'll allow myself to feel bad for like a shower's worth of time. And then, you know what? I have to keep going because that was the only way I could push myself essentially. So I'm 29, I'll be 30 this year. I feel like I've had 15 different jobs. Like my career path did not go as planned and I could not have been happier. Like maybe after college seeing all this in the future would have made me super anxious and not ready. But you know, I took whatever life gave me at the time and those opportunities and I couldn't be happier. And I think this is kind of the first time where I feel content so it took me eight years of taking opportunities getting rejected getting laid off you know having really weird situations come about meeting people going to awesome events and then finally feeling content and now I get it now I understand when people are like you're very young in your career you're just figuring it out like I feel like I'm a perfect example of figuring it out because it took me so many tries to get to where I'm at and I kind of I've only saw how it would benefit me in the future, which helped me just to keep pushing myself. And now I'm content.
2: So I was working as a copywriter, which was really fun. I loved working with my team. We were working with the other copywriters. So we were coming up with ideas. We were brainstorming. We were doing these really fun ideas for the clients. But the clients are a little scared. So they don't want to try the new things. They want to do what they know works. So I was basically in a rut somehow. You know, I was working in this creative industry, but I wasn't allowed to try anything new because I put myself in a cage actually And we were working really long hours. It was from 9 a.m. until 11 p.m. or something like that. And this is a good day, you know. I know that I went home and showered and came back. And at the agency, they actually told me that there's a shower here if you want to use it. And we were like, no, I would rather go home, you know, if that's okay with you. So I basically began showing up a little earlier, getting up a little earlier to have some time to myself because I didn't just want to live for the job where I couldn't uh, contribute as much as I wanted. There was a Starbucks by the sea, a really nice Starbucks near the agency. So I began showing up a little earlier there. And first I was, I don't know, reading a book or other times I was scrolling through Instagram. And during that time, I discovered Skillshare, this online learning community. And I began doodling and First, I stumbled into modern calligraphy, and then afterwards, it turned into hand letterings. And I found some classes on Skillshare, and I taught it to myself, and I loved every minute of it. And so I began doing it every day. And I'm a little bit of perfectionist. I think it's sort of like imposter syndrome, or I'm not sure what it is. But I bought the first notebook I could find, which had plain paper, and I covered it with bits of scrap paper, so I wouldn't feel like wasting the notebook, you know? I knew that if I got a fancy notebook you know I would be really fancy with it too so I wouldn't be experimenting etc so I got the worst notebook I could find with the thin paper etc so I began carrying it with me and doodling in it and I was sometimes improving what I was learning like implementing the lessons and the online learning community is really awesome because you can get to learn from many many different people with pre-recorded classes you don't even have to like match their timeline or time zone or anything like that so I was basically trying the things and I always liked sort of drawing and writing and illustrating anyways. I was after the stylized things, and the more I did it, the more I realized that I don't want to go back to work. Calligraphy is very well known here. It's been traditional calligraphy with the thick letters, black letter calligraphy. So the black letter calligraphy is known here, the traditional artwork of calligraphy, which is hard to read, but looks really decorative. I see those around, but right now, I don't know. It's very industrialized, and typography is very well known and applied, but the handmade aspect of it is missing. The craftsmanship is missing because no one wants to work on those things. So I see less of English lettering in Turkey because that's what exists and that's what's being sold around. So I thought, you know, if I keep doing this, I might create a market for myself because right now it's not existing. I mean, now it's a little bit more known, I guess, but the brush lettering and the modern calligraphy, still there is no hand lettering. It was important that I took that class right when I did because it's time to put myself out there because if I don't talk about it, maybe there are others who don't. And maybe if I begin talking about it and showing up as myself, the way that I am doing these things, we can actually build a community and maybe there are other people who do this. I'm just sharing what I'm doing and well, hopefully when the environment is right or the timing is right, something will become of it.
3: family is the biggest thing for us (laughs) in the Latin culture and me moving and living you know so far away from my parents has been I think a big surprise to them (laughs) and also to myself that you know I wanted to do that and it's like kind of breaking sort of like a norm in our culture the people that I worked with in New York are just like amazing and are like mentors to me and just took me entry level taught me the ropes so once I started to like toy around with the idea of like I think I want to move to Chicago I set up a meeting with my VP at the time and I was like hey you know I love it here but I think I want to move to Chicago our big headquarters is there like how can I do that like what's the process do you think it's a good idea for me do you think there's a team that I could go on and you know like sort of like what next steps do you see for me and he was so supportive like emailed the right people like literally the week that I had this meeting and he was like when do you want to move give me a date and like we'll make it happen. So that was amazing. And just like knowing that I had their support was really great. It all moved pretty fast. Like I gave him the date and it was like the end of my lease. And then the next week I was going to move to Chicago. I went out like a month before, looked for apartments and all that. I feel like it was another quick step, like similar to me graduating college and starting this job. I think that was also really quick. And I didn't realize how quick it was all happening until I was in it. And I was like, whoa, this is a new city, a new job. And I'm again, working all these crazy hours. But yeah, I was really lucky in the sense that I had the opportunity to stay with the company and continue to grow in the safe place. I was put into like a manager role and it was like a promotion for me. And I felt like a lot of people had expectations for me in this role. I hadn't had any experience in it. And I think like I put a lot of pressure on myself to say, okay, well, all these people are counting on me and now I'm responsible for teaching all these people. But like, I don't even know it myself. It was like a sense of that. And also just, it was a lot of responsibility for the role. I think one of the the biggest and most simple things I've learned is that being like a kind person in the workplace can actually get you really far and it's something that is needed on a lot of teams so I think that's probably the biggest thing just like remembering that people are like human and being kind and like trying to be positive throughout your day especially when you have like people looking up to you or like responsible for like a team I think that's huge There are things that, yeah, of course, you know, you have to do and require you to like drop everything or like, you know, obviously I don't want to like make mistakes left and right. But also, you know, kind of having that mentality of something goes wrong, like, okay, let's take a step back, identify, yes, it went wrong, but like, can we fix it? Most of the time, probably yes. And if not, it will be okay. And kind of instilling that in my management styles to not instill panic or that type of stress. I just, Absolutely. And I still do love this company, but I absolutely loved it. And it just gave me like everything that I had, you know, up until that point. It gave me the start that I needed. It gave me the opportunity to meet all these great people in New York and have all these crazy amazing experiences. And then, you know, also allowed me to move to Chicago and check off another dream of mine. So I felt like really sort of indebted to the company because I'd gotten all these opportunities and had been able to grow so much in, I guess, a relatively short period of time like four years I had done all that so I definitely felt like grateful and all that and I still felt like I could continue to grow there but I just didn't know if I could do it in the time that I wanted it to happen I wasn't necessarily looking to leave or like looking for a job but I had a recruiter reach out to me and tell me about this role that they were looking for and said I looked at your LinkedIn profile like you seem like an amazing fit so I was like okay well I just closed out this huge portion of my life leaving the team that we were on and I'm kind of on this new team. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm kind of just cruising. I don't really know if, you know, I'm going to move on to a different role anytime soon. Like, I'm not necessarily unhappy, but I'm also not waking up excited. So I kind of felt like I was a little stuck. My interest has definitely peaked. And I took the call with this recruiter and I was like, Oh my God, this role is literally what I used to do in New York and what I love doing and similar kind of vibe and all that. So I decided to interview, I ended up getting a job and I was like, Oh my God, I think I want to do this, but I didn't really think I got to quit too. But I was really excited about it and I knew I wanted to take it. And it kind of felt like the first time that I was making a big decision for my career because up until that time, I felt like things just kind of happened to me or, you know, I kind. Of just continued onto the path because that was like the next logical step. So I felt like this was the first time that I was like actively making the choice to go do this job because it was something that I wanted to do and something that I wanted for my own career growth. So I was like, yep, I'm gonna do this. Similar to you, I think everyone gets nervous when they're quitting to their boss, especially when you have a really close relationship with them, just because you feel bad or you feel like you owe, you know, something to the team. So it's definitely like a stressful (laughs) two weeks leading up to me knowing that I was leaving. And at the same time, my boss was going on maternity leave a week after what was supposed to be my last day. I just felt guilty, but I was like, I got to do this. If it's not now, it's just not going to happen.
4: That was... Honestly, part of my motivation to go back to school, my supervisor, when I asked him about staying, we sat down and talked and I knew his story. He, you know, started in construction and then decided to go to school, got an internship, and then he got a job straight from that internship and didn't finish. And then he went back to school 20 years later to do his last two semesters. And he was like, you know, taking a break that long and going back is really hard. So he was like, if I let you stay, you have to promise me you're going to go back and graduate. He was like, not in 10 years years you're gonna go back and you're going to finish said, that's the only way i'll let you stay and i was like i promise rory if you let me stay i will graduate So yeah, the year I was off, I was just thinking about him and other things. And it wasn't necessarily like letting other people down, but I was like, you know, I made a promise. And the only reason I got that amazing experience is based on a promise that I made. And I didn't like that. I wasn't fulfilling my half of the deal. Yeah, His half was I get to stay and get my experience. My half was okay. I graduate and then get a good job and use the experience. I was like, I have to do it. I have to go back and I have to finish. And especially when you say, well, you spent the first five years at Purdue. Why didn't you finish there? Because I just decided to give up. I didn't like that. So yeah, I got back in. And yes, I finished this year with the best GPA I have ever had in my life, not even just in college. Like I had a better GPA this last semester than I even did in high school. Very up and down my college experience, but dance was that constant there that helped get me through and keep me grounded when I felt like I didn't have anything else 14 year old me would have been like, dance is not a sport. And I would never do that. I'm an athlete. And now here I am like, yeah, I am an athlete and I dance and it's really hard. Like dance uses so many muscles. I was a swimmer. I played soccer. I played basketball. I did tennis. I ran track. Like I did every sport you can think of. Dance is up there as one of the tough ones. I have hurt muscles I didn't know I could hurt. Yeah. I've strengthened muscles I didn't know could be strengthened. I've done things I didn't know my body could do. It's crazy. And you feel emotions. Sometimes I feel like you didn't know you could feel. I don't know. Certain dances will hit you in a certain way and you're like, whoa, I didn't even realize I felt that way right now. Okay, let me let me sit here and express myself. And that's to me, I think is my favorite part is when a choreography like speaks to your soul. It can connect to anybody. And I think that's what I love so much about dance. It is universal and anybody of any age, any gender, any race, anywhere in the world can relate to it depending on the story you're trying to tell. It can be an outlet for everyone. In our immediate family, I'm first graduate. Neither of my parents graduated because they had me. So it was like a huge thing. And my mom was in tears. She couldn't even talk. She gets up to the mic and all you hear is, <laughs> and everybody starts laughing. Seven years, I'm a year and a half off. I did my one internship, but I did it at the end of the day. That was the biggest thing that I had to get over. I had to stop comparing myself to everyone else because as I had that time off, I just watched everyone I started school with was finishing and moving on with life. And I felt like I was getting left behind. And so I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, everybody else is moving on and I'm still stuck in a rut. I just had to snap myself out of it. It's like, what are you doing? I am not those people. So it doesn't matter what they're doing. My journey is my journey and no one else's. Sometimes it takes people 10 years or 20 years to finish. Sometimes I finish in three, took me seven, and that's okay. It's my story, and I did it, and that's all that matters.
5: And so then I get to Purdue. I'm in the interior design program I was there for like a semester and hated it failed my first interior design class but I really loved the drawing classes the design classes all those were still great it was just interior design was not my thing so then I went back to the Purdue majors list and saw visual art again and I was like I mean I'm here my parents are not here I can just switch my major I don't need their permission so I just switched it and called my mom and said hey here's the deal I'm not doing interior design anymore, doing art education. And she was pretty chill about it. So I I just kept going on this path after that. (laughs) And to my parents' credit, neither one of them is very creative or artistic. Both of their career paths follow more of a science route. And then my mom went into law school. So like the idea of an art career, it was just so foreign to them. They could not comprehend that. But in me pursuing it and me being really passionate about it, they have come to love what I do and love hearing about it and tell me all the time that they think it is really cool what I do. So to their credit, they really did come around and they are very supportive now. A passion of mine that I share with my sister is buying art directly from artists. So one thing that we love to do is find art fairs where artists have their tents set up and they are selling their work just directly to you instead of going to like, I don't know, home goods and just finding a cool frame something like knowing that you're like supporting the person who actually made it. So we've been doing this for years. I'd been collecting a lot of different art just from a lot of different people from all over. And what I really was, Excited about when I bought my first home was getting to hang it up because I didn't really have room in my teeny tiny apartment that I had. And so that was the first way is that just surrounding myself by other people's work. And then the second thing was as I was looking for houses, one thing I really, really wanted was to make sure there was space for me to keep making my own art because in my apartment, I basically just had this big drawing board that had my stuff on it and I would make my bed and then put the big flat piece of wood on the bed and then sit on my bed. And that's where I would do it. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I need like an actual space that's dedicated to my own creative making. So when looking for houses, I was looking for the space and I found this house that had an extra bedroom that I have since converted into my own art studio, if you will. And that's where I get to do all of my own art making stuff. And it's an ever evolving space. For a long time, I was making a lot of things, but I wasn't doing anything with them. And I wasn't sharing them on any social media platform. It was just my own little thing. And then as I like developed my own style in those years of just making stuff for myself in like notebooks and stuff, not really like framed pieces for myself. It's just little doodles almost. I really feel like I developed my own style that way. And then I would say this past summer, I really got the courage to start actually posting pictures of the stuff I was making. And it's been a goal of mine for a while to get to that point, but I was just too nervous. And so I got to that point where I was like, okay, I'm going to start actually like sharing that like, oh, I actually do make a lot of art on my own. So I started sharing paintings and a lot of people were so nice and just like, wow, these are great. Can you make me one? And Society6 does it all for you they print it, and they frame it if someone orders a frame, and they send it on to the person, and then at the end of the month, they just send me whatever my cut is of what was sold, and then it goes to my PayPal account, and it's just super easy, especially since it's not my main source of income. It's really just for fun for me, so it's not maybe the best way for someone as like a full-time artist because you don't make a ton from the Society6 page, but it is really nice just to have it for myself because I like making it and seeing people enjoy.
6: And I kind of kept having this like internal struggle of both imposter syndrome, which I think is like super common, especially among our generation. And then also just kind of this external pressure of you need to get a job and like, it needs to be this like conventional package deal. And then by 25, you'll be married. And by 30, like you'll have your two kids and you'll have this like little picture perfect life. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) That's not me. (laughs) And so it was a little bit of an existential crisis, like November of my senior year. So at the same time though, because I like a challenge, (laughs) I had been meeting with some family friends and one of them recommended I look into international education. And I think what was like initially challenging for me was these options aren't Explicitly told to you yeah. when you're 17 years old and picking your major. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 10. like, when I was four, I wanted to be a shoe designer. I have no capability to do that. Like, I by no means pursued that passion, but like at some point, something gets lost where like that passionate side of things is not as encouraged in our society <laughs> by my parents, sure, but like the broader world. And so I had this family friend tell me, like, you thought about international education, like, here's some master's programs. So I had applied at the time to a couple of schools and at Peace Corps. So I was kind of these two parallel tracks. It just so happened I got into Peace Corps first, and I had seven days to decide (laughs) what I wanted to do. I think I wanted to do what wasn't expected. And I wanted to challenge myself. I think that's at the, like, the bottom line of it, because growing up, I always, like, played it safe. I was the girl who always wore a helmet. You know, like, I always, I followed the books. I, like, didn't cut in line, like, store was closing, was out of that store 15 minutes before, (laughs) kind of thing. It was kind of two pronged. Number one was I didn't feel like I could, with authority, become someone in the field of international education without having actually experienced it and lived it and seen firsthand what the problems are. You can read a book about things, but it doesn't compare at all to seeing it yourself. So that was the professional reason why. On the personal side, like I wanted to do something different for myself. Like I'm a pretty picky eater and challenge myself not to like all the food all the time and to get out of my comfort zone and take these challenges and turn them into something meaningful. And so when things are too easy for me, I get bored and I don't like being bored. (laughs) So I need to be challenged in some way and figure out how to survive almost. I think for me, one of the biggest helpers and like levers in getting me to where I am has been just asking people to share their stories. And then from that, doing my own research and figuring out like, huh, they're like, this seems really interesting. And basically, like, choose your own adventure. It's interesting because I could have never predicted anything. You have this idea in your head of how it's going to be kind of similar to when I went into college, right? I thought I was going to be doing this and then came out and had a completely different life trajectory. And so now after Peace Corps and that like motivated me, I'm going to apply to grad school again, even though I got in, they wouldn't let me defer, which I thought was ridiculous, but whatever. Still got my master's, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just like kind of pivoted me into a different direction of like, wow, inequity and inequality is really prevalent, especially in education, and especially when I'm teaching a curriculum that's saying use a Bunsen burner because it's written for kids in the Capitol, but I don't even have a whiteboard at my school. And so seeing that level of disparity kind of helped propel me into this next stage of my career. Mm -hmm. I had that foresight, I guess, of you need to have done this in order to understand what you're talking about and what you're learning.
7: My grandparents, on my mom's side, they moved from the Philippines, and they built a grocery store, an international grocery store, and they had... All these different international products and built this community of people that couldn't get their products at regular grocery stores so then being entrepreneurs really made me think about well maybe i should go into business and eventually i can make something of myself it's in my blood i can do something for myself build my own business like my grandpa did it So there's a lot of motivation in that aspect, learning from how they had to persevere coming to America, um, not knowing English, and they were able to build this successful business. I've started doing like macrame. I started doing wood burning. I've been doing digital illustrations. I've done craft wire wall art that are skylines. And these are just different things that I've actually put out there as gifts to people and actually started an Instagram page too during all of this craziness just to post the projects that I'm doing because I'm proud of them. And I decided that I wanted to just try more things and challenge myself. And if I put it out there, it makes it real. I don't want to hide the things that make me happy or the things that I'm proud of anymore. And I've just gotten a lot of encouragement from everyone, which is overwhelming, but satisfying in the same sense. My family, they put a lot of emphasis on finding a really high-paying career But lately, since I've been putting things out there more, they've been a lot more encouraging. And I've even gotten a, we're proud of you. So that is a huge deal to me to get that, those words of encouragement and words of affirmation from specifically like my parents and honestly, my dad. Tying in the whole, like the company we keep, when you were telling me about company we keep it really made me think about the company that I do keep in my life and reflecting back on all my past specifically when it came to being creative knowing that I was like the go-to person like all of my friends or like the people that I interacted with they encouraged me to Pursue DIY projects or even just asking me for advice that really gave me the encouragement that I needed. My friends, you included, have been like the most encouraging and helpful with me feeling more confident in what I've been putting out there. I feel like my friends saw my talent before I even saw my talent. The overall atmosphere that I'm living in has allowed me to be creative and harness all of my creativity and it just be a safe space for living just on my own. Getting the chance to self discover on my own was much needed. I think everyone should live alone at some point in their lives. I was able to design my space. I literally painted all the walls. I even got wallpaper to put up I nailed up all of the paintings and things like that all myself I even put in like different light fixtures I know I'm just living in an apartment and it's a rental and it might be dumb to put in a lot of money into something that I'm just renting but I wanted my space to be comfortable and I'm gonna come home and make it feel like home
8: I grew up in Northern Illinois. I moved around a lot when I was really young. I went to eight different schools by the time I was in eighth grade, just to give you an idea. And some of those schools were in Mexico. So very all over the place. And it wasn't until I think fourth grade that we settled on like one town, but like still different schools within that same town. Being shifted around from place to place kind of like screwed up how I, Perceived friendships because I just kind of saw people as temporary, like, oh, this is going to go away soon. So it wasn't until I got involved in the arts in middle school and in high school that I was like, oh, wow, people are really cool. And um, started to fall in love with like making friendships and like keeping those connections alive and seeking joy in company with other people. So I've grown really fond of building and fostering connections with other people that way through music, through theater. Fast forward to March of 2019, I guess, 2019, and I was told that I actually wasn't going to be able to depart, that I wasn't going to be able to leave with the Peace Corps that year because something was aloof with my medical records and they didn't think that I was healthy enough, like they thought that I wouldn't survive in like the new country. And so I was really angry and (laughs) appealed that and tried my best to get my place back with the Peace Corps, but that didn't happen. And I spiraled because I was like, well, what's the point of anything? I wasn't doing music. I wasn't doing any form of arts at this time. I was just preparing to be a volunteer with the Peace Corps. I was just working with students, working in education. I felt very distanced. And then I started to like think, okay, I guess this is the universe giving me like the biggest slap in the face. This isn't supposed to be your path. So I decided to pick up my guitar again, and I started writing some songs, and I started going to some open mics, and then I got my first gig in Chicago on April 26th. I will never forget that date, April 26th, 2019. I got a gig at Uncommon Ground, and even though it wasn't like a super big show or anything, it felt big to me because that was the first time that I was getting paid to perform music that I wrote. Ever. And (laughs) it just felt like a huge step. And that motivated me to start working on an album. At this time, I really didn't know anything about putting an album together. So I started asking other musicians that I knew that had albums out. And I was like, hey, can I pick your brain? Like, what is it? What do you do? What's it like? Do you do a home recording? Did you go to a studio? What's the difference? I wound up going to a studio but I didn't do really any production. Like I let the um, studio engineer do the mixing and the mastering, not entirely sure what mixing or mastering was. <laughs> and I just, I, I released it in December of 2019. And it was just so crazy. And I did so much for that album. I did a Kickstarter, I did like a couch tour, <laughs> but I just played in people's homes for over the summer to promote the album. And to keep writing it. And it was really fun. And I never felt more alive than when I was working on that album. And then the school year started again. I didn't have a job. So I was like, I guess I'm a math tutor again. Hi. <laughs> and so I did it another year. I learned this last year that I was working with them that the difference between working at, with something that you're truly passionate about and working with something that you love. Like, I feel like those are two different things. I loved working with students. I loved having structure and routine and being able to see how students grow and see that my presence made a difference in these students' lives. But I wasn't passionate about it versus working on music during the album was like fireworks. So I decided to start to try to do more with the music industry. And then the pandemic hit. And I truly learned during the pandemic that life is too short. Life is too short. Why am I spinning circles and trying to find excuses for what I want to do? Why not just do it? So I finished the school year with them and then didn't sign up for a third year and I haven't had a regular nine to five since (laughs) it's been so crazy. I've been just doing music.
9: And actually, what's kind of funny is I got back from London. And so I'm from like a very small town in the Midwest. And the next day, I went to work in the cornfields because there's this thing called pollinating and detasseling. Basically, like I did this every summer growing up and I would earn a bunch of money in a matter of like two or three weeks. And so that was kind of the agreement with my parents. Like, you can go to London, you're going to kind of pay it off when you get back. So I remember being in the cornfields and it's like hot and sweaty. I'm like, 24 hours ago, I was in London. I could not believe it. So oh, wild. I did that for a few weeks and then I start packing for New York when you're starting out, you're kind of like, can I do this? Did I make a mistake? You know, which definitely has crossed my mind. I definitely left Macy's a couple of times to go get a coffee and cried in Herald Square. I was like, why did I come back to New York? It's not magical. Like, it did not feel like the magic was gone for a while. And I remember I called my mom and was like, mom, I messed up. Like, nothing's working out. I've been on a zillion interviews this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. This isn't how I remember it. And she like totally heard me out. And then she was like, well, no, Christy, I'm not letting you move home. And I like, she like made me cry harder. I was like, what? And she's like, <sighs> she's like, I'm not letting you move home. She's like, you, this is all you've talked about. Something will work out, but I'm going to tell you, you have to stay. You have to give it more time. And just thinking, of, I've lived here for five years now, maybe a little more, but it definitely has like a hazing period in New York where you're like figuring all this stuff out. And then once you get past that, you're like, I know how to navigate this, it will be fine, you know, and then I feel like the point I am now, I just feel like New York actually is home, home. You have your New York family, I have my own apartment, which is always a goal because that's just something that in New York, having a roommate, I was lucky to have a very wonderful roommate and one of my closest friends, but both of us, she actually lives on her own now too. We're like, you know, we did it for three years, but like it reaches a certain point where you're like, all right, I'm going to challenge myself. Can I get my own place? And it really is life changing, whether it's studio apartment or not, it's still yours. I had basically been looking at apartments for a whole year, just, like, dreaming. But then the dream slowly became reality. All right, like, I think I'm slated for a promotion by the time this happens, dot, dot, dot. And, of course, I had this whole plan of how everything was going to line up. Turns out, like, the timeline ended up being a little shifted. So promotion or whatever it was wasn't going to happen until I forget exactly what went down. But basically, I was like, shoot, do I wait another year or do I just do it? And of course, like knowing, you know, how I operate, I'm like, well, I don't want to wait another year. I'm just going to make this work. Yeah. Just <laughs> and so I like canceled my Equinox membership, which by the way is $150 a month, which is stupid expensive. I'm like, yeah, I can put that towards my rent. And also like maybe having a few less cocktails on the weekend. I will say that Ralph Lauren still does drive a lot of my inspiration. I've always been inspired by that brand, but I think it also kind of reminded me of home and like how my mom decorates. So it did have that familiarity and that's what I was going for with this apartment. But over time, once you recognize what you like, then you become familiar with that and you know what you gravitate towards. Because I think, especially first arriving in New York, like fashion is a good example. You're like surrounded by all these people and you're like, what's on trend? And you're trying to keep up at all times. And like, it's impossible because it's always changing. But I think at some point, I stopped looking at what the trends were, and I just started appreciating things that I thought were beautiful, mm-hmm. like colors that I liked, what I'm drawn to. And then like over time, it's like, wow, when you really just pick out what you like, it starts to all go together. And like you mentioned the cohesion between the apartment and my closet, for example. It's so true. If I open my closet, it matches my apartment, but it's because... The color that I'm drawn to in a sofa is also a color I'm gonna be drawn to in a sweater. I like how it goes with my skin tone, or over time you're like, oh, this is flattering, or I have something else that it reminds me of. And it's almost like you have an ever-evolving mood board that isn't like evolving in terms of what your actual underlying taste is, but you might build in a few things that like you're newly inspired by. It's kind of like you strike that balance somewhere after like a few years of hustling and you're like, this is actually great for now. And it's not like I'm stopped here. Like it's, I don't really know what's next as we were talking about. We kind of just play it by ear and when something else feels right, then we'll go for it.